You're making one right decision today. You're listening to Handcuffs and Sage. Three badass moms bringing you all the true crime and paranormal your heart desires. I'm Red. I'm Timo. I'm Dre. And don't let your kids listen. Seriously, just don't. Hey, it's Handcuffs and Sage. How's everyone doing? Hey, hey, hey. This is Red. This is Timo. And this is Dre. How y'all doing? Timo's eating. We're watching her eat. Time <laughs> just snuck up on me, man. And I'm like, I've had like two cups of coffee. And now I just gave myself a big, huge glass of iced tea, like black iced tea, mm, like black tea. Yes. And if I didn't have something in my stomach, I was going to go into caffeine, caffeine coma. So I had to eat yes. a little bit of something. I had already changed my pajamas of the day. Uh, I had I got oatmeal on my <laughs> earlier pajamas, so I'm on my second set for the day. Mm-hmm. So, did you love looking down? You're like, what? Who am I? I am not a functioning person. I have food all over myself. Oh my gosh! So well, I have a strapless. I have a little strapless sundress on right now, but in the Zoom picture, it kind of looks like I'm nude. Yes, it, it does. does. A nudie <laughs> patootie. <laughs> Are you actually mm-hmm. nude right now? You'll never know. We'll never know. <laughs> yeah. It is she, <laughs> she accidentally stands up and we're like, oh, oh my no. gosh, she was nude. <laughs> I don't think you realize. Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I was talking to my son. Uh, we, we heard that school's going to be online starting off this mm-hmm. year, right? And so I told him I would get him some back to school pajamas. And he's like, oh, I'm so excited. <laughs> That's so funny. That's so true, too. It's like, I would never get my kids new, like, new clothes, like now as teenagers, new clothes, or even when they were kids, because we're in Southern California. So you don't really need new school clothes until like, like Christmas time because it stays hot. And they're just going to wear their summer shit. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I'm all about getting the new clothes oh, for school. When I That's was a, a kid, big deal. that was my, yeah, that was a big deal for me yeah. too. But being a single mom, it doesn't work that way yes. for me. So unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. I, I understand that. Like when times, you know, have been really lean for us, it would be the one like first day of school outfit. Like that's right. what you got. And that was very mm-hmm. special and picking it out, laying it out. Right. was a big deal. Oh, I but remember those days. Times have changed. Times have changed. So we'll mm-hmm. see how that goes doing it online. And the, the ladies were commenting, I got con- contacts and I keep putting my hand up to push my glasses up, <laughs> but there's no glasses there. So that's <laughs> kind of sad. That's funny. I feel so adult. I just feel like I can do anything now. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's the best feeling in the summertime. Like I, that's the only time I really wear my contacts in the winter. I just love like the style. Like if I, if I have a couple different pairs because you know, you don't sweat and they feel okay. But in the summer, Oh, it's so gross. Yes. Yeah. They're very mm-hmm. sweaty. They fog up. I like to hike. You guys know that. And that's been a real problem. When I hike, they fog up. It's always an issue. If I'm going across the stream and I look down, my glasses will fall, right? Oh, no. So I was telling my doctor that, like, this is why I want the contacts. And with a mask out and about, a mask blows. Right. And yes. So you have the uncomfortable mask, you have fogged up glasses, <laughs> and so you just, you know, it's a constant battle. So I'm really glad that I finally got this done. 
Red, you could have gotten those really cool, like, goggle glasses when you hiked. Why did I do that? <laughs> Hello. You would have looked so sexy. So sexy. Did you see that sexy hiker in the, with the goggles earlier? There's <laughs> 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 such dorks, dude. Oh, my gosh. Um, okay, so we have a lot of good ones. I'm actually really excited about yeah. it what we're about to talk about. So my hubby gave me this one. Okay. Oh, All the I ones said, he's given you have been pretty, pretty good ones. So yeah. yeah I know. And then he's always like, how are you going to reward me later for giving <laughs> you this good time? I'm like, what? <laughs> what <laughs> oh, world you know. you <laughs> I'll be nice to you maybe. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> so this is a really good one. I was super excited. It, it's so interesting and so fucked up. Uh, this guy definitely gives me a creeper alert. Um, <laughs> I had heard of this person, but I had no idea what he really did. And so when you take a deep dive into everything, it's, it's just really crazy. So the one I'm doing is Dennis Nielsen, the Muswell Hill murderer. Have you guys heard of Dennis Nielsen? Dre? Mm -mm, no? Mm -mm. Oh, he's just the most prolific serial killer from the UK. No big deal. It's fine. But you guys haven't <laughs> heard of him. <laughs> so really interesting story. So Dennis was born November 23rd, 1945 in Fraserburg, United Kingdom. And there's videos of him that you can watch on YouTube. And he's got a very thick Scottish accent. Very thick. Okay. So his marriage... It was not a good one. They ended up separating. So Dennis and his mom and siblings ended up living with his maternal grandfather. And Dennis was actually really close with his grandfather. They would go fishing and do all these things, like make memories and just had a really good bond. And it sounded like Dennis really needed that. I don't think he got that from anyone else in his life. So his grandfather was really good to him. And so one day when he was six, he came home and his mom said, do you want to see your grandfather? And he didn't know he was there. And he said, yes, I want to see, you know, granddad. And he walks in and his corpse was laying out. He had died. Oh, no. They didn't tell him. When he was six he years had, old? Yes. And they oh, didn't wow, tell so him. And so he said that this moment of like viewing his grandfather's body really changed the way he viewed dead bodies. Like he loved his grandfather. He was not expecting this, right? And so mm -hmm. that's something to remember for later on. So this was a big part of his life, seeing his grandfather dead and seeing his body and everything. That's a really young age, six years old. Come on. Yeah. I know with like no warning, that's really terrible. Oh, yeah. Oh, maybe we should tell him he's dead first. Maybe we should let mm -hmm. him in on that. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. So Dennis's mom got remarried and had four other kids. And because of that, Dennis was really left as like the other one, right? Not very important to the family. He was always lonely. And it just sounded like he really needed someone to be his advocate and friend. And it, it, it's really sad hearing stories like this. So Dennis knew that he was gay, but he didn't tell anybody. And he said that he had no like 
sexual interactions with anyone like during his adolescence. And when he was 16 years old, he joined the army. So his son wow. must have signed up on, off on that, right? You can't just sign up at 16, right? Wait, what I year was this? Him. What year was this again? Well, he was born in 1945. So this okay. was in early sixties, right? So But it was the UK, so I, who knows what their rules are who in knows, the UK. but sixteen, that's a baby, really. Yeah, really. Um, mm -hmm. he was that's a cook. Boys. Yeah, just a child. That's that's our boys, right? Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. I could not imagine. No, yeah, never. Uh -uh. Absolutely not. Mm -mm. <laughs> Uh, Ricky would be like, I've had training. I played Call of Duty. Yes. Right? <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my Bubba would not want to leave his mama. That's for no. sure. <laughs> so Dennis became a cook and a butcher in the Army Catering Corps. And he actually really enjoyed that. But he learned a lot of skills on how to cut things up. So let's remember that for later on. Oh, oh great. Creeper <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. In 1972, he started police training. He loved going to the morgue uh, during his training and seeing the bodies and how these bodies were autopsied. He really enjoyed that, you guys. So I have several sisters. You guys know I have just a slew of sisters. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and one of my sisters, um, she really wants to work at uh, at a morgue or a mortuary. Mm -hmm. And she would be great, actually, for a job like that. But the thought mm -hmm. of working at a mortuary just gives me the heebie-jeebies. He, I mm -hmm. just could not be around dead bodies and just seeing them in that state. No, thank you. I could not do that. But you know, to become, yeah, to become a mortician or embalmer or whatever, it, it takes so much schooling. It's mm -hmm. unbelievable. Mm -hmm. It's like like up there with a doctor. It's so crazy. And I follow this girl on TikTok. That's what she does. And she answers yes. people's questions and stuff. And she and like people are like, oh, I want to do that. I want to do that. And she goes, You guys have no idea. First of all, right. It only takes there's only a few small group of people that can actually do it, number one. And then want to take the time in to learn and do all this stuff. And then her boss, I think I mentioned this on a previous episode, her boss is like dying of cancer. And he uh. got the cancer from all the chemicals that they use <gasps> for embalming. So his job actually killed him or is killing him. So that's freaking wow. her out as well. Yeah. Oh wow. I had never heard of that. Have did you guys watch the show Six Feet Under? Yes. Mm -hmm. oh, I, wait, love yeah. it. Uh -huh. I loved I it. I loved it. I loved it. But I, I could not do that. I, I just know I couldn't. Um <clears throat> so he actually ended up resigning um from the police training and became a recruitment interviewer. So I'm assuming Dre, that's something with the military, right? Like they interview people to mm -hmm. recruit, right? Something like that. Yeah. Uh so in 1973, David Painter, a young man that met Dennis through a work, said Nielsen had take, taken photos of him while he was asleep. Uh, that would piss me off <laughs> if I found out someone was taking pictures. Like, I'm sure my husband's done it. Total creeper. He's like obsessed with me. <laughs> but if it was a stranger or, you know, a work colleague, that's a problem, right? Yeah, yeah weird. Sure. <laughs> so David was so pissed that he 
confronted Dennis about it. They got into a fight, like an altercation, and David ended up being hospitalized from this fight. And so Dennis was talked to by the police and actually released. They didn't charge him with anything. And I thought, well, that's kind of crazy. Maybe because David came up to him and started the fight. I don't know. Mm. But I I feel like this is going to happen a lot in this story. So. Oh, geez. Okay. Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> so in, <laughs> in 1975, Dennis started living with a gentleman named David Gallican, and this was in North London. You can see photos and videos of them living together. They took a lot of videos on YouTube, and they both have very thick Scottish accents. So you're always trying to like figure out what they're saying to each other, right? <laughs> um, David denied it being a homosexual relationship, but this was a homosexual relationship you can tell like this is a couple like in this these videos they have a like little puppy they were trying to be you know together mm -hmm. and you can definitely tell though in the videos that Dennis is very controlling not very nice to him in one of the videos um David's like in the garden and He's like, well, stand up, like, for the video. And he stands up, and he puts, like, his arm up here, like, look at me in the video. And Dennis is like, put your arm down. You look like a poof. Well. A, a, a poof? A poof. Oh, okay. So he was not very nice to David. They were together for two years before David left. But it didn't seem like a very good relationship. So after David left, Dennis just spiraled out of control. He had always been a heavy drinker, which I think contributed to a lot of the things that um, caused problems in the relationship, right? And this just made it way worse. He was just drinking all the time and he was very lonely. That was just a big problem for him. He was so lonely all the time. So on December 29th, 1978, Dennis met a young man at a pub and invited him to come over to his apartment. So the next morning, he really didn't want this man to leave. Now, I keep saying man, but really, when you really look at the story, this was a 14-year-old <gasps> This was not a right. man. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he didn't want him to leave. So he took a tie and he strangled <gasps> him. He strangled him because he didn't want to be alone. And then he drowned him in a bucket of water. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Damn. He, he washed the body and then he laid it out on his bed. He attempted to have sex with the body, but I guess it didn't work out. I don't know what happened. I don't know <laughs> what that means, but uh. he attempted and it didn't work out. So he ended up keeping the body on the bed and then sleeping with the body the following night so he wasn't alone wow. which is just so disturbing oh and my god sad to me Ugh. oh my god yikes he hid the body under his floorboards so think about the smell mm -mm. Mm -mm. the body was yeah. under his floorboards for seven <gasps> months yeah i i always think about the smell oh. that smell must have been just awful he then, like Norman Bates. Yes. Oh he God. then took, <laughs> Yeah, seriously. And then took the remains and burned them in <sighs> his backyard. 
Mm. After then, seven months? After seven you months. You couldn't just do it, right? <laughs> you had to wait no, seven months. Ugh. No, no, he had to wait. He had to wait. He had a lot of stuff to do. He had some errands. <laughs> you know what's crazy is like when, when you guys were talking about being a mortician and whatnot, um, I went to school uh, and I got my, my criminal justice um, mm -hmm. degree. Yes. And, and in that time, I actually got to go to the coroner's office with the, the teacher who was the coroner for uh, the city of LA. Cool. And he was my ride. And so he got called in for like an emergency. <gasps> autopsy. And I was like, I was a student. It was like at the end of the year already. And he was like, um, do you want to assist? And I was like, yeah, <gasps> for sure. Yeah. So, he said, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I, like, I did. No. It was it's late. I got to get home. And how was it, Jay? <laughs> it let's, was, have a um, talk. let's have a talk later. Yeah. I want all the gore details. Yeah, it was disturbing. <laughs> um, but in that, he, he walked me through, like, the decomp room. And he said that these are the bodies that they find that are already, like, have gone through decomposition. And that uh, happens after just a couple of weeks. Mm. And that that is just crazy. Yes. That smell, that smell is worse than just, like, a... It's gonna sound weird, right? It's gonna it's it's worse than a regular dead body. <laughs> it's gonna sound yes, right. <laughs> this isn't a but regular like, dead body. This is a decomposed body. Okay. Have you guys ever left meat in a refrigerator for a little bit longer than than like the expiration and forgot? I would that never it was there? do that, Dre. Ever. I have no idea what you're talking about. As we okay. speak right now, Michael. <laughs> I hate that smell. It smells awful. Well, it's I have. Disgusting. You open the fridge and you're like, oh. Well, right, what yeah. about this, you guys? So I live in a condo complex. We're not allowed to keep our trash cans outside. So we have to keep our trash cans in our garage. Oh, and no. I don't know what's in our I don't know what's in our trash can, but you walk in that garage and it smells like a dead body in my garage. It is Oh, it's gross. it's maggot season. It is maggot season. Oh no, mm -hmm. I don't even want to know. Mm -hmm. Yikes. Yikes. Anyway, multiply that, that smell by by a hundred, okay? And oh my god. Go get, you get an idea what this crazy lunatic was smelling. Ooh, ooh. That's so, so crazy. I, I feel sick to my stomach, actually. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Dre. It's your story. <laughs> I, I want to hear more. I'm calling you later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> so, <clears throat> oh my gosh. October 1979, a young student accused Dennis of strangling him during a bondage play session, which... Well, duh. I mean, that's what you kind of do with bondage, right. but maybe he had a safe word like pineapple, pineapple, and he just didn't stop. So <laughs> that's probably what happened. Uh, but again, no charges were brought against him. Nothing happened to him. Hmm. So Dennis met a Canadian tourist, Kenneth Okenden, in a pub on December 3rd, 1979. They actually spent a, a really nice day together sightseeing and drinking and just hanging out. And then they went back to Dennis's place. You shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have gone mm -mm. to Dennis's place. No. Dennis strangled Kenneth with an electrical cord so he couldn't leave. He cleaned the body and then slept with the body. He took photos of the dead body <laughs> and then he had sex with this body. So he made it work out. He then put it, this body under the floorboards again, like before. Um, he would remove the body frequently to have conversations with it. Norman nice. Bates, baby. It's so Norman Bates, yeah. Mm -hmm. Crazy. Like, 
you got to lift up the floorboards. You got to smell the smell. You got to touch the yeah. dead body. You got to pull it out so you can be like, how are you doing? Like How's your skin going? Yeah. Do you, do you need anything? Are you cold down yeah. there? Yeah. Sorry. Sorry I ripped your face <laughs> off. You. Oh, my God. To do that yeah. over and over again is beyond me. I don't understand. Mm -hmm. So May 13th, 1980, Dennis invited a homeless 16-year-old boy over, Martin Duffy, and he strangled him and drowned him like he had done with the first one. Mm -hmm. He laid the body out on the bed like before, right? We're seeing he's kind of mm -hmm. doing the same thing over again, but he masturbated on this corpse. Mm -hmm. Duffy's body was kept in his wardrobe for two weeks before being put under the floorboards. Again, the smell. How is he living with the smell? Like you, mm. you have to go in, you got to spray constantly, you got the tree air fresheners all over the house, you're still <laughs> gonna smell it. I mean, mm -hmm. disgusting. Oh my gosh. And you know, this was in the UK. I don't know. I'm sure they had air conditioning, right, in the late 70s, early 80s. I mean, maybe he just kept his place, like, super cold, and then it there was, kind of, like... There was a smell. There was a smell. Okay, all right. Um, well, we'll get Well, there. of course. There had... Oh, oh, no. Okay. Oh, no. <laughs> so, by 1981, Dennis had killed 12 men by this point in his apartment, and only four could be identified. He had killed a sex worker, Billy Sutherland, and Malcolm Barlow, who was an orphan with learning disabilities. Aww. I mean, I just can't. Dennis claimed he had gone into like a killing trance at times. And sometimes he was able to break out of this trance. And when that happened, um, he said that seven victims that he was going to kill were able to get away so seven, seven. people were able to escape mm -hmm. okay because he snapped out of this killing trance that's what mm. he called it dennis wow. had to put barlow's body under the kitchen sink because he had half a dozen dead bodies in his apartment at the <laughs> time he was nowhere oh, he was hoarding hoarding dead bodies Yes, he was hoarding dead bodies. Again, the smell. The smell. Oh, my, oh my God. God. Mm. The neighbors complained of the smell. Oh, smell. <laughs> okay, finally. No. He told them that it was because of a structural problem with the building that, that there it. was a smell. How does that <laughs> even make sense? And how are the neighbors dead like, bodies. oh, you're right. That's probably what it is. The <laughs> structural <laughs> problems. Yeah. Right. He, like at least say like <laughs> sewer, you know, at least that would kind of make a little bit more sense. <laughs> right? There's sewer issues. Right. He would take his clothes off so he'd be naked and he would dismember the bodies on his kitchen floor. He would boil the skulls <gasps> and put organs in plastic bags. He would put uh, the guy's torsos in a suitcase until he was ready to burn them in his garden. So sometimes he would have a fire going in his garden all day long 
trying to, you know, burn these bodies. And none of the neighbors ever said anything to him. <laughs> if I had a neighbor burning something all day long, I'd be like, what's up? You got some bodies? Mm -hmm. You got some torsos? I would totally be like, what's going on? Oh so that's God. crazy. And I wondered if that smell too, it should have, right? The burning, if it was You would well. assume so. Yeah. Hmm. So all you right. have a smell, you got some burning things, and all the neighbors are like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Whatever. Geez. So in 1982, the year of my birth, it was a great year, he tried to stop himself and he got a new apartment. This was a top floor apartment in North London. It had no garden and it had no floorboards, right? So much harder to hide a body. So he thought that would keep him from killing people. Mm. Unfortunately, it didn't work. He couldn't stop himself and he ended up killing three more victims. He just couldn't stop. He just couldn't. John Howlett, mm -hmm. Archibald Allen, and Stephen Sinclair. Mm. So because he doesn't have a garden and he doesn't have uh, floorboards, he's got to get creative here, right, with the bodies. Mm -hmm. So he boils the heads, the feet, and the hands. He dissected the bodies and flushed them down the toilet. <gasps> Ew. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Yep. Oh. Hang in there. It gets worse. February 1983, one of the tenants called for help because there was some kind of drainage <gasps> blockage. Oh, no. Right? Oh, no. <laughs> it's freezing outside. It's snowing. All the tenants come out as this plumber is trying to like, it's like this, <gasps> see a picture of like this like manhole looking thing where the, the plumbing is. And he's like trying to figure it out and they're like watching him. And this plumber is pulling out human remains. I cannot... Does he know what does he know what it is or does he just thinks it's like yes <gasps> no oh, you no. can tell they said like you could see like knuckles like you could oh, see what God. it was like it was a hand you know that plumber turned around and said we'll be flushing bodies <laughs> <laughs> you know like when a plumber comes over and he always say why would you flush this you never flush this anyway mm -hmm. so it was decided to have a full investigation, of course, and that the police would stop by the next day, not right then. The next day. Oh, the no. next day. So the UK be doing it different. Okay. They're like, oh, mm -hmm. tomorrow. Tomorrow will be fine. <laughs> so Dennis was worried, obviously, about being caught. He tried to remove all that human tissue from the drains where the plumber had been working, but a tenant saw him like trying to get this all done. Oh, come on. Yeah. On February 9th, 1983, Dennis told a coworker, if I'm not in tomorrow, I'll either be ill, dead, or in jail. Well, I say that to my coworkers all mm -hmm. the time. So that's not actually very <laughs> odd. <laughs> True story. I can hear this. Hear yes. This. Yes. Absolutely. On <laughs> uh, February 9th, uh, Detective chief inspector jay wanted to question him he went into the apartment and he smelled the worst effing smell he said it was just disgusting mm. and in the youtube um video i watched about the the murder 
he he was saying to Dennis, just don't mess with me. What did you do? Kind of like, we're not doing mm -hmm. this. What's going on? Obviously, something's happening here. And Dennis said, look, I got some body parts and some plastic bags around the apartment. <laughs> what are you going to do? Okay. Oh, oh my God. So mm -hmm. he was arrested. He had killed 15 men and attempted to murder seven more. But remember, he had broken out of his killing trance. Mm -hmm. So while he was locked up, he wrote 50 notebooks for the prosecutors, just like outlining like everything. And he made something he called sad sketches of what he did with the bodies. Mm. And I thought maybe these sketches would be like nice for that Comet ping pong place. Just like a nice addition <laughs> to the art that they already have there. Oh no, just <laughs> see these pictures? Can you see them? I did not look I didn't look up the sketches. Something like that uh, would really bother me, but we can look it up later, I, I guess. Will. I'm going to. <laughs> yeah, you are. <laughs> yeah, you are. I'm gonna make a coloring book out of it. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Just kidding. Just kidding. So Dennis fired and rehired his legal team twice. He just couldn't make up his mind what he was going to oh do. One of those guys, huh? Yeah. Um, October 24th, 1983, he was charged with six counts of murder and two attempted uh, counts. So I thought that was interesting because even though he kind of like, confessed in all these yeah. notebooks that's all he was um charged with he pleaded not guilty due to mental defect and during this trial there was a lot of um psychiatrists and specialists talking on his behalf just about how absolutely insane he was but on november 3rd 1983 he was found guilty on all six counts he was sentenced uh to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years, which I think is quite insane. How could that person ever be out on the streets again? Just wow. putting that out there. But Dennis yeah, no died way. in prison in 2018. So that is the story of oh. Dennis Nielsen. Wow. Crazy. Yeah. Oh. Ew, Dennis, you're gross. He's disgusting. You well, know, I have bananas. to say that that smell of like a decomposing body, it stays in your nostrils for like two days. Oh, Dre. Dre, Dre. Dre. It doesn't go away. I don't know how he lived with that. It's don't there. they put like Vicks? Don't you uh, rub like half the, like the, you know, like the fist that you, Vicks that you rub on your chest, like they stick it up there. I mean, like, like Vaseline up in your nose. I think you can, but um, we didn't, so. I mean, they just, just walked in there. Imagine think, like maybe think, his um, clothes smell like it. Maybe yes, like, yes, for sure. Smell like it, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> like a like a crazy cat person or a hoarder. So, yeah. Like, you just get used to it, maybe. I you know, know, one of the one of the things that happened was like people were like, "Oh, it's gonna smell really bad," and then a bunch of kids took gum and they started to chew the chew on <gasps> gum. And then the the instructor was like, you know, just don't whatever you do, don't eat anything, don't chew anything. He didn't tell us why. And I Woo! luckily I didn't I didn't chew gum, but um, we walked into the decomposition room, and if anybody was chewing gum, the gum suddenly changed the. No 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 no, no 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 no. Yeah. No. Oh! 
Yeah. <laughs> and so people, they were like gagging. I had oh. up. Oh. And he was like, I told you guys not to chew anything. And it was like, it will, the gum will just take the flavor of the atmosphere. So all his food, all of whatever was in his home, that's what this guy was living in. Oh my I can't. God. Could you yeah. imagine having a piece of gum in your mouth? Be like, this kiss on dead body. Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> No way. Oh, I think, I think that was like the best field trip ever. Oh, <laughs> I love you, Drake, so much. Now I love you even more. <laughs> it was the best. <laughs> you know, what's, you know they, they do that now, and I'm sure they've been doing it for quite a while now. If you get convicted of a DUI, you have to do classes. And one of that part of the classes is, is you're taken to a morgue, and you have to see that. They they make mm -hmm. you they make you scan so that you know you yeah. can cause this when you you drive drunk and I don't know if it they scares people straight but for me I'd be like yeah cool not that I want to drink yep. and drive but I'd be like yeah you're like can we stay I have questions <laughs> yeah <laughs> I should be friends a mortician it. or somebody I mean I had told you guys long time long time ago that I had dated a mortician and I was going to get a job over at Pierce Brothers for doing like hair and makeup, but I never did it because I didn't think I could handle it. But um, what do you tell you to lay real still and not to move? <laughs> He's like, don't ask any questions, but don't say anything. <laughs> lay here real stiff. <laughs> uh, are you talking about like a sexual escapade? <laughs> Yes, Timo. I no, we didn't get that far. We didn't get that far. I was a good girl back then in those days. It, it took me a couple days. <laughs> it was a like couple first, days. <laughs> like a not a couple, couple dates. It was, it was the first date. No, I said days, but I, I changed my mind. Dates. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good girl, oh, Timo. Uh, yeah, maybe I thought I was a good girl, but yeah, we'll see. <laughs> it was just a couple. <laughs> All right, that was okay. awesome. Are you all set? I am, I'm ready. So my notes are kind of wonky towards the end here, so just bear with me. But I am going to take us all to Green Slope, California, AKA Cuesta Verde, California. Cuesta Verde. And um, we're gonna talk about the poltergeist curse. <gasps> Yay! I like it. Okay, yes, so yes, I'm, yes. I'm continuing I'm so on. morning. Yeah, so I'm continuing on with the series. It's called Cursed Films. It's on Shutter. Um, so yeah, the second the I did the Exorcist last week. This week was the pol was Poltergeist. I didn't look ahead. I mean, I kind of did, so I know which ones, but I didn't know what order they were in. And when Poltergeist mm -hmm. popped up, I'm like, whoop, whoop, whoop! I'm so excited because this is one of my most favorite That's movies it. of all time. Mm -hmm. And I I'm going to do a lot of imitations on this one too. Okay, so before I start, I want to give everybody the most respect uh, for everyone that's involved in the story. I know because there's a lot of um, deaths that happened um, during and before or during and after this movie. Um, I don't want to be light on death and all that good stuff. So I just want to say this is all in fun. I'm telling you the story and I have respect for, for, all, for everybody involved. So with that being said, um, Poltergeist, the, the Poltergeist franchise was uh, from 1982 to 1988. There was part one, two, and three. 
Um, mm -hmm. There was a reboot, a reboot in, in 2015. I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about that later. And then I think there was also a two-year TV series. I never saw that. I don't think I had any interest in seeing it. Oh, I it. didn't know that. I yeah, know that. I don't even know. So. so what the story is about, it's about a family of five that moves into suburban you know, America uh, into a brand new house. The dad is, um, uh, he works for a company in that that builds these properties. So they're in the phase one area and crazy shit starts happening. So there is, um, it's the Freeling family. There's Stephen Freeling. He's played by Craig T. Nelson. Diane, who's played by Joe Beth Williams. Dana, who's paid, played by Dominique um, Dunn. Robbie, who's played by Oliver Robbins. And Carol Ann is played by Heather O'Rourke. So, uh, in the cursed films, they're interviewing, they're going back and forth, and they're interview, interviewing a lot of people that have to do with like the paranormal aspects. There's some authors. I'm not going to really go into that stuff. It was just kind of basically like their opinions on the paranormal and uh, why the curse might have happened. But there was one guy interviewed. His name was Paul Dale Roberts, and he's a paranormal investigator. And he always suggests in any type of horror film that's being made that you have some type of paranormal person involved on the set so that they can guys kind of like watch over and make sure that you guys are paying the respect that you need to pay make sure there's cleanses because you don't want to open shit up and in and, and all this craziness would happen and that's what he believes happened they there's a lot of other aspects that might have caused this curse but that was one of the things that it was just like willy-nilly let's do this horror film and let's just do all this stuff Mm -hmm. um, so there's a man named James Kahn, and he wrote uh, the movie. He wrote, uh, it took him a month to write it. Uh, Steven Spielberg hired him to write the movie. Uh, yes, Steven Spielberg did produce um, the, the first Poltergeist. Mm -hmm. And he had him go to his office at MGM and write it out. So he was there in the evenings, like almost you know, to like two, three in the morning, just writing and writing and writing. He had an assistant that her name was Marcy and she was actually typing out everything. So he was handwriting everything, handed it to her and she typed it out. That's what you did back in the eighties. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden uh, he's writing this one part of the film and he writes thunder and lightning because there's a lot of thunder and lightning in the film. There's a lot of rain in the film, which plays on what we'll talk about later. And as soon as he finished writing that, and it was a clear day, there was no, nothing going on outside. There was a total thunderstorm that, that came up. The building was actually hit by lightning. It what? Blew, yeah, it blew the air conditioning unit um, it, like off the wall, I guess. And the, the frame of the, like the little front part blew off, hit him. And then I guess in Spielberg's office, he had a bunch of like, you know, like Pac-Man, he had a bunch of video games, like those old school, big, huge arcade video games. They all started going off at the same time. So he's like, hmm, all right, that's kind of strange. So that was like one of the very first things. That would freak me out. Yeah, that would that's pretty out. creepy, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. the first, you know, first, uh, the filming starts in 1982 and Joe Beth, Beth Williams would go home every night and she'd walk into her house and all her picture frames would be wonky. Slanted this way, slanted this way, and she'd make them straight, 
and then go on with her business, go to work the next day, come home, and they what? all be planted. And this happened. What did she think was happening? I, I don't know. She, <laughs> I think she thought it was just she was slamming the door too hard, or maybe there was window wind coming from an open window. She she didn't really think anything of it. And oh then gosh. Dominique Dunn, the same thing was happening to her, but with books. Books were falling off the shelf and off tables, and she just picked them up and put them back. The next day, they'd be on the ground again. So see, that would freak me out. It I would never freak me out. Put it back and not even think about this moment, right? I'd be like, "Why is this happening?" Right. Or like right. talk to each other, you know? Well, I don't know. Yes. Let's communicate yeah. better. Yeah, totally <laughs> bananas. So. Overall, there's about 14 unexplained events that happened. So those were just a few of them. And there were also four lives taken within six year period, taken or just, you know, deaths in general. Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so ironically, I just wanna, I know I've touched on this a lot of times, but ironically, the movie is named Poltergeist, but it, it's really not about a poltergeist. A poltergeist mm -hmm. is a ghost or supernatural being that moves objects, creates audible disturbances, and it usually is created or follows a person. A haunting follows a place. So what's funny is um, Dr. It was either Dr. Lesh or Dr. Leash. Uh, she's the paranormal investigator team that comes later, like halfway through the movie in part one. Uh, in the movie, she actually says that. She actually said, you know, she explains what a poltergeist is, what a haunting is. She doesn't know what's going on yet in this home. It does end up being a haunting, and we'll, we'll touch on that in a little bit. I just think it's very funny that they named it poltergeist, and it absolutely had nothing to do with a poltergeist, so that's kind of funny, yeah. but mm -hmm. that's okay. I'll, I love it, so it's, I'll take it. Yeah, They didn't I'll do the research. <laughs> <laughs> They're making a movie. They don't have time. Right, right. But it, it, it is a really cool name, like Poltergeist. I mean, that's kind of yeah, spooky when you right. say it. So it, it works. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm going to talk about the number one death that happened. This is absolutely horrible. This is so sad. Uh, Dominique mm. Dunn, she played Dana. She was the teenager, the, the main, the oldest child of the group or of the family. And uh, okay, so she was born in 1959. She was living in West Hollywood. And she, at that, at this time, this was after the, the movie. So the movie was done, filmed, it had been out. And she got casted in the TV series V. Did you guys ever see that? V? I remember as I a little kid. So. so you guys might not. Maybe yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think so. Mm -mm. It was about these aliens that came to earth and then kind of like, um, just integrated with everybody, but it was still there trying to take over like humanity. And I just remember this one teenage girl in the movie, she ends up falling in love like with one of the alien soldiers and they have sex and she gets pregnant with this like alien baby. And it was like right when I was like contemplating like sex and oh, pregnancy and just kind of in love and all this weird shit. And it was just like, oh my God, it's a teenager. Ooh, you know, it was like a big deal. Yeah. I'll be a virgin forever. <laughs> right. I'm going to pass. Okay. So she was actually running some lines with her, uh, with a co-actor. Uh, His name was David Packer. And she, uh, uh, Dominique had been dating this guy named John Sweeney. He was actually a sous chef for Wolfgang Puck, which I found very interesting. Mm. 
And she broke up with him about a month prior. She wrote him a letter. She said, this isn't working out, blah, 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 blah. And this guy just had some serious problems. He was just dwelling on it, dwelling on it. So he actually walked, this was on November 4th, 1982. He walked two miles to her house, knocked on her door. When she opened the door, he saw David. He freaked the fuck out. And she said, let's go talk outside. So they went outside and then he just started to freak the fuck out. They were arguing. They were super, super loud. You could hear it all over the neighborhood. They said, David kept on looking out the window. He didn't know what he wanted to do. He was a little guy. And I guess this David Sweeney was like a, like a linebacker. He was this huge dude, right? He's like, I don't want to get killed. I don't want to get beat up, whatever. So he actually picked up the phone and he called a friend. And he said, look, I'm over here. And it was a message that was left. He couldn't reach his friend. He said, look, I'm over here at Dominique Dunn's house. Her boyfriend's here. He's freaking out. If I end up dead, John Sweeney is the one that did it. Then he hung up the phone and he called the LAPD. The LAPD told him, sorry, not our jurisdiction. Call so-and-so. And so he tried. He tried like three or four times trying to get the police over there. And no matter what he did, they just went. It was like, whatever. They... They didn't know, they just didn't act like they should have acted. So in like the meantime, the police with yeah, Dennis. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll so come in, over tomorrow. We'll check it out tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> Only if these fuckers would have come over right away. So in and while this is happening, um, John Sweeney starts choking Dana. He's on top of her. He's basically oh choking, choking the life out of her. And he stops. So he did not kill her at this point, but she's unconscious. She's near death. And she, uh, he, he, get, he does get arrested. They do take uh, Dana to the hospital. She stays in a coma for about four or five days and then she dies. <gasps> so, uh, uh, you know, Sweeney's arrested. When they're interrogating him, all he's worried about is what's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to me? Not once does he ask, is Dana alive? Did I kill my girlfriend? Whatever. He doesn't ask once about her. He just is worried about himself. So the trial happens. Uh, this is disgusting. I, 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 this whole court case just fucking pisses me off. Uh, the prosecution found out, found a person, her name was Lillian Pierce. She was an ex-girlfriend of Sweeney's. He had choked her, broke her nose, popped Mm. her eardrum, Sent her to the hospital two different times, and they were not allowed to use that as evidence in the trial. Oh, that's awful. That is awful. And the judge uh, seemed more on the side of Sweeney than on the prosecution side. That's insane. Yeah. That's that's insane. Mm-mm. And he just didn't so want to hear judge it. Or the defense the judge, lawyers. The, yeah. Really the judge just you know didn't want to hear it. He just didn't want to hear it. So they, uh, he ended up um, um, pleading guilty of manslaughter. He got 10 years in prison. But because he had already been in jail for so long, they basically said time served. And oh. he, he went in for only two and a half years and got out. That's bullshit. Gotta hate that. Absolutely terrifying. Absolutely That's horrifying. awful. Yeah. That is awful. Oh my God. I'm filled with rage. White Dominique, hot rage. Yeah. Dominique was only 23 years old. Oh I mean, my God. She's a absolute, baby. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. Mm-hmm. She just dated the wrong guy and this is what happened to her. 
So they interviewed the jurors later on and they said if they would have known about the ex-girlfriend, he would have been guilty and he would have gotten life in prison. But because that was in the evidence of the course, the Kate Court case. Awful. Yeah, absolutely horrible. I wonder so, if the jurors here heard about that after the trial, right? Heard they that did. Maybe he had after that the, Yeah. Oh, they heard, they as heard a all. juror, I'd be so pissed. Right. I'd be so pissed. And I think that that would friggin' haunt you too, knowing that you kind of mm -hmm. let this guy go or whatever, knowing that he, that he was just a friggin' loose cannon. He did that before. Right. <sighs> all right. So now onto a lighter note. Uh, we're going to talk about the clown. You guys remember the clown, the creepy clown? Oh, the, God. The yes. Who wasn't terrified <laughs> forever? I, I still I am under the bed. Yeah. Don't put your foot out of the covers and hang it off that bed. It will get you. For the sure. clowns never bothered me. <laughs> clowns never, even seeing that clown, it didn't really, clown. I don't know what, what, so weird. I'm just a weird Did kid, you say I guess. clowns I just, never bothered you? Clowns never bothered me. No, not at all. Oh, no. Mm -mm. Uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Oh, I, I know. I, but I, I was introduced. Yeah, it. I was introduced into horror movies at a really young age, like Michael Myers and Jason from Friday the Thirteenth. So that was more of my my scary stuff. Is like the real oh. slasher guys. God, I hate <laughs> yeah. clowns. Like I hate. I was watching. I think I watched um like all of those like when pretty much when you watched them. So I was a lot younger because my sister is eight years older than me. Oh. And she was, you know, she's your age. She's like a, all up into it at that time. And we used to watch it when I was really young. Yeah. I don't know what my mom was thinking. <laughs> and so I'm a child of the age. clown did me in. <laughs> a, ch a child of the 80s, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Yeah. We were allowed to do a lot of shit back then. All of our parents were like, I don't <laughs> yeah. know. Don't do something. Yeah. Don't Whatever. Go outside. Yeah. Don't come back until the lights are, the street lights are on. Hurt, I know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so there's a scene in the movie where the clown attacks Robbie, and it was all special so effects. It, it was like, not special mm -hmm. effects as in like CGI, but it was like mechanical effects. So they had wires yeah. and hoses mm -hmm. and like a little, you know, remote control, and somehow it malfunctioned, and Robbie was, or um, Oliver, Robbie, he was actually getting strangled in real life. <gasps> malfunction. And this little boy. Yes. Uh, and everyone's like, wow, he's mm -hmm. doing some really good acting. And then <laughs> I, I feel an Oscar this I year. know, right? And Spielberg <laughs> kind of looked over at him and Spielberg saw that he was turning blue. He went <gasps> and fucking saved the kid's life. He yanked the shit off. And he realized oh the kid was God. actually choking. <gasps> fucking life. Isn't that crazy? I had never heard that it. before. Yeah, can, can you say that? Like, <gasps> you can say Steven Spielberg saved my life. You know, that's so bananas. By being really strangled by a clown. I want him to save my life. Yeah. I bet he has clown nightmares. Probably. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Poor kid. He got this acting job. He's so excited. He's traumatized for the rest of his life. I mean, these kids were traumatized too. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Even when they were brought in to do part two, they told them, you know, Dominique's not coming back. Something really bad happened to her. I mean, oh, they, she yeah. played. They she played their online sister, and now she's dead. And they have to explain to these little kids that you know, just that in general is freaking. Mm -hmm. That just gave me just yeah. chills. That yeah. is awful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right. So now we're gonna go to the famous pool scene. Okay, so okay, you know what? I think we should take a break. I think I need a Bloody Mary or something. Seriously, <laughs> it's, it's twelve thirty. 
Okay. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'll have it later while I'm working. Oh my God. I want one so bad. <laughs> and I don't have any, now that you said that, I want one so bad now, but I have absolutely no alcohol in my house. If you can believe that. It's so crazy. Dennis really made me go, holy shit balls. And uh -huh. the whole clown thing it really triggered me <laughs> because that scene really fucked with me as a kid. It really did. Uh -huh. It was awful. Uh -huh. And you know what's so weird about the movie is that's like the second half of the movie. So like all this shit's happening. The little girl's back from being in her TV land and, you know, everything's all nice. They think everything's back to normal. And then whammo, everything happens. Yes. And then the fucking clown does this, you know? Yeah. It's mm -hmm. like one of those, like, it's like, oh, you think everything's all fine and dandy. Nope. 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 No, no bitch. Right. <laughs> so if you're not going to get a Bloody Mary, I'm going to talk about the pool scene. We all love the famous, famous pool scene, right? Who loves yeah. the pool scene? I who love loves it? it? <laughs> it's awful. You know who would love it? Dennis Nielsen. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Cool party. Cool so, party. so fun fact, uh, the house that was shot, like, so the, the house, the actual poltergeist house, the exteriors were used in the movie. Uh, all the interiors were filmed on a soundstage, but they were actually building a pool in the backyard. So they used the true backyard pool in the oh. backyard. Real pool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Real dug up, you know, dirt pool. Okay. So uh, okay, so Joe Beth um, goes outside. It's it's totally raining, pouring, whatever. She has this like little T-shirt as a nightie on, and she falls into the pool. Of course, of course. And of course, it's filling up with water because it's been raining, and all these skeletons start popping up Yay! and scares the fucking shit out of her. Oh so the story God, goes, so yeah. So the story goes at it was a lot cheaper to buy real human skeletons than to have some type of, you know, makeup effects people uh -huh. to actually sculpt out so many skeletons. <laughs> so they were actually, this group of skeletons were, they came from India and they were actually donated to a, a medical college. So they basically got them for real cheap. And um, yeah, so they were used in the movie. So they think that maybe this is probably part of why the curse started because you, you desecrated these graves, you manipulated and played around mm -hmm. with these bones and you used them for something, you know, as disrespectful. So they think that maybe this was the number one thing that, that caused the curse. So in um, the cursed film show, they bring up this FX guy, his name is Craig Reardon. This dude is not happy. He is pissed off still to this day that they're claiming that they used fake or real skeletons for the movies. But he's kind of bleak about the whole situation. He just says, I'm insulted and da 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 da, but really doesn't come out and actually say, I made the skeletons. He just kind of like mm. says, I'm insulted. So then he starts saying, you know, they've been using skeletons in movies for like years and years now. In 1931, Frankenstein, they had a real life skeleton. In 1959, on House and Haunted Hill, there were two human skeletons used in that movie. But he never, ever admits that they were not human skeletons. He never says those words. So uh -huh. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, 
I would have said straight off the bat, I'm a fucking bomb ass FX dude and I built those motherfucking skeletons. You know what I mean? Yeah, but he can't. Everyone he can't knows. say that. He can't say that, right? He so can't I, say it. Everyone right. knows that watches like confession tapes and all this stuff, true crime people. It's not what you say, it's what you don't say. Exactly, okay? exactly. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Crime Con. <laughs> Thanks, Crime Con. <laughs> Thanks, Red and, and Dre, for getting me into the true crime shit. Now I know. Hell yeah. <laughs> so Joe Beth Williams um, and most of the crew did not know about the skeletons, and they all started freaking out once they found out. And Joe Beth didn't want to do the scene anymore, so Steven Spielberg actually got into the pool with her and kind of, like, calmed her down when they were doing the takes after that. And uh, so I thought that was kind of cool of Spielberg. I mean, he's kind of like the hero in this, in this whole thing, right? Well, he saved a child's <laughs> life from a deadly clown. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Okay, so I'm gonna. I'm basically finished with with part one, but I'm gonna say a couple um, fun little quotes from the movie. We all know the famous quote. Um, oh gosh, did I? I forgot one note downstairs. Okay, that's right. I'm gonna do it from memory. Uh, they're here. Of course, that's the most mm-hmm. famous mm-hmm. one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who's here, honey? I know. <laughs> the TV people, don't, she says. The don't TV answer. People. Don't answer. Yeah. yeah. The TV people. The TV people. So then when all that shit's going down, like towards the end of the movie, um, his boss shows up. And his boss, had, earlier in the film, his boss had told him, we're going to make phase five. And he's like, well, look at my backyard. And they show this huge cemetery. And he's like, we're just going to relocate them. And he's like, you can't do that. He's like, why? We've done it before. We did it in phase one. So like done. Craig, done yeah. So done. Craig T. Nelson's like, what the fuck? So when all mm-hmm. this shit's going down and all, they're trying to escape from the house and these coffins are popping up through their house, through their backyard, through the walkway, they're just popping up everywhere. So he grabs his boss. Somehow the boss ends up at the house. I'm not exactly sure how that happens. So he starts shaking his his boss he's like you son of a bitch you mm-hmm. just moved the cemetery you didn't mm-hmm. move the bodies you yes. just moved the headstones and you left the bodies so that's yes. another real famous <laughs> you can see his face yeah yes. so pissed. <laughs> and then there's a couple times during the movie where joe beth williams uh is like leave my babies alone leave my babies my babies but she's a mob Baby, <laughs> <laughs> it's so hilarious, and of course, I say to my kids, my babies. <laughs> and then Tangina, Tangina's little um, little person medium that they had on the show. Uh, her name oh, is, I love her. Yeah, her I love is, her. Her name is uh, Zelda Rubenstein in real life. Just everything that she mm-hmm. says is just like. This house is clients, and just like she has, like little, like yes, I love it. I totally love it. Your Mm -hmm. family's in danger. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so now we're gonna move on to uh, the curse is gonna continue on. We're gonna move on to uh, part two, poltergeist, and I think besides part one, part two, I think has to be my most favorite. Um, I watched them both last night back to back because uh, I just wanted, and mm-hmm. oh my God, I don't think I've ever seen Poltergeist or Poltergeist 2 on cable. I've always seen it on regular TV. So they've cut out so many parts and I'm mm-hmm. watching it and I'm like, oh, I've never seen this part before. I've never seen it. It was so right. fun. I love it. Okay. Yeah. 
So on the first day of filming part two, um, they have something where at the end of the day, they go through their daily. So they just kind of run through the film and like to see how everything was filmed. Everything was blank the first day of taping. The, <gasps> all the negatives were crazy. black, blacked out. Crazy, crazy, crazy. They just kind of like, I'd be oh. so pissed. Yeah, they're so like, pissed. oh, operator error, blah, 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 blah. They didn't really think anything of it. But then a couple of days like with later, all this shit going on, right? I'd be yes, like, right. I, I think it's a sign. We should probably. I not think do this. we should stop. Let's do another yeah. movie, a happy movie. <laughs> you know what's so yeah. funny is they these were like back to back movies too. So part two was filmed like after all the shit happened, like everything happened. Mm -hmm. Dominique had just died or was murdered. I mean, it's crazy. Craig mm -hmm. Craig D. Nelson, who plays Stephen Freeling, he said something just doesn't feel right here. It kind of feels weird to me and then the crew members were like yeah i agree with you something so uh will sampson he is a native american who plays uh taylor on part mm -hmm. two he was actually a real life real life sh shaman and he plays a shaman in the movie isn't it shaman oh shaman mm -hmm. a shaman Sorry. shaman we don't okay. want to offend anyone okay it's shaman. shaman okay shaman uh so he told Spielberg, leave the set open. I'm going to come late tonight and I will do an exorcism and I will get rid of all this negative energy on set. So he did. He went that night. He did a full on Native American exorcism. And when the crew and everybody came back the next day, they said it felt like lifted and everything was great. Every, everyone was happy. Wow. But it didn't last long, unfortunately. Hmm. So when they start first started filming uh, part two, uh, Will Sampson, he was dealing with emphysema, and but he seemed very healthy in the beginning. There was, you know, he seemed okay, but towards the end of the filming, he started deteriorating really fast. He needed oxygen throughout the day, and then oh. two two years after part two was released, he underwent a heart and lung transplant. And a few days later, he had a post-operative uh, kidney failure, and he died on June 3rd, 1987, at the age of 53. Oh, so, that's uh, young. So young. Emphysema, 1950. And a heart and lung transplant, yeah. So wow. they're saying mm, maybe because of the exorcism that he did, maybe, you know, whatever was going on kind of like went after him and made it worse because he seemed fine at the beginning of filming and all of a sudden he just totally went downhill oh my gosh okay, okay. so this is my favorite part julian beck he plays the cult leader reverend henry kane and he's mm -hmm. that creepy old guy that walks around uh. in a black suit and a black hat so the whole thing behind part two is <clears throat> Uh, there was a cavern found beneath the house because in part one, the whole house disappears and floats into whatever universe everything else right. came from. Mm -hmm. So beneath the cemetery, there was a whole nother cavern and this Reverend Henry Kane had a group of people and he said, the end of the world is coming. So he brought them all down into this cavern. He said, trust me and the world's coming. The end of the world didn't come and days after the he wouldn't let them leave so they unfortunately him and his whole cult group died in this cavern yes. so this is what's the whole wow. pre premise of part two mm -hmm. uh, he wants the, you know he wants the life source of carol ann because he he got a taste of her so he wants carol ann again and then all these you know dead cult people they they want to be moved on and because 
the mom is psychic or has some type of you know clairvoyancy carol ann has the same and then joe beth's mom does so in 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 part two they're living with the mom supposedly in texas but it's really like pasadena california which i thought was really cool mm -hmm. too right right so there's all these clairvoyants living in this home so of course all these dead people are drawn to them so there's this part in the movie where the reverend kane is walking up into the house and he's singing a song and i love this song so much oh my and god he sings it in the creepiest way i know I'm, what you're talking about i'm it, gonna it's i'm so weird i'm gonna sing awful. it for you i'm gonna sing it for yeah. you here okay so he's walking up to the house there's rain just falling on this house all by itself and he's walking up this huge long driveway up to the house carol ann is sitting on the front grass having a little picnic with her dolls and he's all god is in his holy temple earthly thoughts be silent now while the reverence we assemble he is with us present though whatever so anyways there we Yay! go <laughs> you creepy son of a bitch it's so weird it's so fucking weird i wanted to do it in his voice and i just couldn't do it no but, you did great it was so creepy how you think that oh, okay good i well, can think about that moment later oh, on in part God. two uh he gets uh the dad gets possessed by this guy and what happens is he's drinking tequila because he's fucked he's like fuck this yeah. shit I'm getting yeah. my fucking drink on. So he's drinking a whole bottle of tequila and he swallows that motherfucking worm at the end. And guess who's in that worm? Uh, Reverend Kane yeah, possesses yeah. him. So the first thing uh -huh. he says is when he's possessed and he's gonna go look for the family, he's like, God is in his holy temple. Uh -huh, I know. Mm -hmm. And he said, so, so creepy. Yes, yeah, so creepy. <laughs> yes, it's so creepy. Uh -huh. Okay, so a uh, little side note. They didn't learn from the first movie. They decided to use a bunch of real human skulls in the filming Horrible. of part two. So yeah, that was that was a good thing. And let's see. So during the making of part two, uh, Julian Beck, who was Kane, was actually dying. He was literally dying of stomach cancer, and he died uh, days after filming. Uh, um. So. Uh. I'm going to tell you something freaky about that in a little bit regarding to part three. But then after part two was filmed, Craig, Greg T. Nelson went to visit Will Sampson at his grave. And, he, and it was out in the desert in Arizona somewhere. And it was like cicada time. Do you know what those little cicadas are? Mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, there's, they get very loud, like crickets, they, but they yes, get loud, they're like loud, crickets, loud. but they're uh -huh. so loud. So it was that season and they're just like blaring. I mean, it's so loud. And he said he walked up to um, Will Sampson's grave and he said, hey, Will, it's me, Craig. And all of a sudden, the cicadas were silent. He said, you can <laughs> Creepy. Creepy. <laughs> yes. So fucking creepy. All right. So we're going to move on to part three. Um, Gary Sherman is the director of part three. He didn't really know if he wanted to do the movie or not. He had known about, you know, the deaths and everything, but he still decided to do it. But they were like, okay, we need um, we need Kane in this movie. Like, how are we going to find another Kane? Okay. Well, one thing they didn't tell everyone was that they did a death death mask of Julian Beck, 
and they're not sure if they actually did it while he was alive or while he was dead. But they took that death mask and they made a prosthetic for the actor that played him. So it's actually that guy's real face on the prosthetic that they used. No. The and you so guys all crazy. know what death masks are, right? Yeah. They, they were done years ago for like Abraham Lincoln and George Washington mm -hmm. and uh, William Shakespeare. And they would make busts out of them in mm -hmm. you know, memory of them. But um, I never heard that part before. And when I heard that, I was like, I was screaming. I was like, what the fuck happened? that i was like oh shit balls that's crazy. it's like they he took, they took all the things they took all the things that you could do to like you know be rude and disrespectful to the dead and they did it all yes. in this movie yes for sure yeah nothing will happen yeah no, it'll be fine it's gonna be great you're gonna love it mm -hmm. so part three went a totally different way have you guys seen part three i don't huh. think so they, they sent carol Ann to go live with her aunt trish and her um, and her uncle, I forget what the uncle's name is, um, and they live in a high-rise building in Chicago, and they come after Carol Ann. Now, at this point... Oh, I do remember this one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. there's a scene where they're in a parking garage, and it's like when shit's going down, the whole building gets haunted. She has a cousin. Carol Ann has a cousin, an older cousin, and then the, co the cousin has a boyfriend, and shit's going on with them, too, and... Because, you know, they're horny teenagers, and the horny teenagers mm -hmm. always, always get fucked in these horror movies. Mm -hmm. So there was some type of, like, explosion that happened in this down, this, you know, this underground parking garage. And it was a 30-foot fireball, a 30-foot fireball that went out of control. The fire department was there just in case they were able to, to handle it, and no one was hurt. But they're like... We have no idea how this happened. This was not supposed to go this way. So that was one of the freaky things that happened in part three. And then in part, also in part three, there was a puddle scene where Carol Ann is standing in a puddle and something comes and grabs her and pulls her down into the puddle. It's kind of mm -hmm. like a portal into the other realm. And because it's a mirror and the whole thing, this whole movie is based on mirrors and the mirror is like the other side of the dimension of where all these people are. So what they did was they, they built this huge tank, eight inches thick were the walls, right? So they were filming this scene, and all of a sudden, the dude that handles all that stuff, he's like, everybody get out, everybody get out, everybody get out, and they didn't know what was going on. Well, it was cracking from the inside out, mm. and he said if they mm. would have been there, and it cracked for good, and, and exploded, like, there would have definitely been deaths. So there have already been two near-death situations with... Uh, with the filming of part three. No chance. Uh, there was an engineer guy. He, I guess, I guess they filmed part of this movie in the John Hancock building and he was the engineer. So he was kind of like on set here and there, just kind of like watching whatever. Well, he was one night, they were filming one night, he was sitting in one of the chairs and he fell asleep. They finished filming one of the, the you know, PAs or whatever went and awoke, tried to wake him up and he fucking fell off the chair dead. He had died <gasps> and they didn't know it. And he was just sitting oh, there dead. God. <laughs> oh, God. He died of natural causes, but still, that's freaking freaky, you know, just to think about. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Tangina, she's the little medium, the real uh, actress's name is Zelda Rubenstein. They were doing a photo shoot. And they were just, like, doing, you know, like, shooting all these different, you know, shoots of her. 
And then she, mm-hmm. she got this like shock because she was a little clairvoyant in real life. And she got this like static shock like through her body and she took a deep breath. And when they looked at the negatives during that period of time, there was like kind of like a white frost like across half of her face in the negatives. And at that very moment, she later on in the, in the day got a phone call to let her know that her mom had passed away. <gasps> and at that very moment that that oh, happened, I got the, the chills. the same time that her mom had passed away, which is fucking totally freaky as well. My whole body is I got, I know, right? Goosebumps. I got right? Well, yes. wait till you hear this one. Wait till you hear this one. Mm. So Richard Lawson, he played Brian in part one. He was the black guy that was the one of the ghost investigators um, uh-huh. in, in part one. So he was taking a plane. I don't know where he was going. He was getting on the U.S. Airways flight. And the stewardess like, oh, my God, you're from Poltergeist. She was like, let me move you up to um, first class. So he got up from his business. Or It's good to be an actor. Right. Good to be an actor. <laughs> he, uh, he got into first class. And then he kind of sat there. And he kind of, like, started getting, like, really, like, this is the right thing to do. Like, he just started feeling weird. He's like, I don't, I just don't feel right. Like, there's something this is weird. This is weird. So as the plane took off, there was a major malfunction and the plane crashed and 27 people, people were killed on that flight. He survived, but the guy that was in his seat that he got moved from died. Oh my God. Are you kidding me right now? No. Can Final you destination. That? Oh my God. Right. Think about living with the rest of your life was I switched seats with someone and they died. It's not exactly. His fault. I it, know. You didn't do anything wrong. I That's know, right? Awful. Oh my God. Oh yes. God. Everyone needs therapy. We all need Is therapy. He- I swear, I like hear this final destination shit all too often. And then, like, right. I always wonder, you know? Yeah. It's uh, crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah. The rabbit hole you can go down, right? I know. With right? All this yeah. Shit. Okay, so they're interviewing, they're, they're interviewing the director, and he starts talking about how much he loved Heather O'Rourke. He said she was like a 35-year-old in an 11-year-old body. She was so sophisticated, so mature. She told him, you know what? Mm-hmm. I've been watching you. I've been watching you directing. You're pretty good. And then she said, <laughs> I, I, I'm going to be a director when I grow up. Oh, I know. Aww. So this leading up to the most famous death of the poltergeist curse, and that is of 12-year-old mm-hmm. Heather O'Rourke. In the filming of part three, she was ill. They kept on sending her back and forth to the to the doctors. The doctors couldn't figure out what was going on with her. They put on a lot of steroids. They thought she had she might have had Crohn's disease. So in the movie, you see her her cheeks are really puffy, and that's just a side yeah. effect of all the medication mm-hmm. that we've taken. And so one day, uh, they, this is the interview from the mom. She said that uh, they weren't filming yet. Um, it was like they had days off. She was going to go to school or something. So she was really excited about actually getting to go to school that day. Her mom said, you didn't eat yesterday, so you got to eat today. So she made her some toast. And she noticed that one of her hands was like all like kind of blue. And she touched her and she was kind of cold. And then she slumped over. She called 911. The ambulance came. Um, they put her in a helicopter, sent her to, to Children's Hospital. They were doing CPR on her, and they pronounced her dead um, at one in the uh, afternoon at, at uh, Children's Hospital. But she did say before they started taking her away, she, she said, Mom, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And she's like, why, honey? And she's like, because I threw up. She's like, it's okay. It's okay. Uh, she's like, I love you. I love you. So uh, 
what happened was um, the very first x-ray that they had taken of, of her body um, was misread. And it was, there, it was there in black and white that she had a congenital birth defect of her intestines. And what it was, it was kind of like a, like a bubble that fills up with like fecal matter and everything. And then on this day, it, it exploded and put her into septic shock. And, and that's why she oh, died. Terrible. But mm -hmm. they would have been able to find that if they hadn't misread. She totally would have survived and everything would have been fine. But so the mom actually mm -hmm. did file a, a malpractice suit against the hospital that, you know, they originally did all that. But then oh the mom, my god the mom started thinking about the christmas before all this happened she had gotten a brand new video camera for christmas and she's like mom mm -hmm. you need to learn how to use this you need to learn how to use this she's like why honey why and she's all in case i'm not here one day you need to know how to use this and she thinks oh. her might have had some type of uh, premonition back then mm -hmm, for what sure. that happened yeah so uh, they hadn't finished the film when heather died so they they said fuck it we don't they're like, we don't want to do this movie. We're, we're not, we're not going to put it out. We don't want to finish it. Whatever. MGM said, if you don't fucking finish it, we'll find somebody that does. So they said, well, mm -hmm. it's our movie. We're going to finish it. So they actually um, brought in a double. So at the ending, um, most of it, Carol Ann is not involved in it, but at the very end where mm -hmm. she is involved, the aunt is holding her and it's, it's a double. They don't show her face, but they said it just sucked having like they're just like heartbroken and everything and they just could not like you know deal with this um but going back to when the whole uh cast was told um mgm said hey we're gonna have a conference call at whatever 10 you know 2 a.m or what or 2 p it was like in the late afternoon so the whole cast went in or the not the cast but the crew the director and everybody and it was the is it was heather o'rourke's agent and he told them that she had passed away earlier that day. And this director, mm -hmm. Gary, just he said, I loved her. I loved her so much. I, I adored her. And he was absolutely heartbroken. So he flew to LA for her funeral. He was he was uh, asked to be a pallbearer. Um, he just said, you know, we ended up doing the stupid ending to this movie. And at the very end, there's this like this this little excerpt of this this film's dedicated to Heather O'Rourke. 1975 to 1988 and he said that even made it more sad because it was just they should have done something more for her he thought mm -hmm. and um after that you know the media went bananas all you know the tabloid that's when the curse came out and started saying all right. this stuff um but it, these people were just absolutely devastated devastated when that happened so um it's heartbreaking yeah so I'll leave it up to you guys to think if it's a curse or if it's all coincidences, you know, like there's just too many things that happen. I, I know they probably opened up something and something freaky did happen, but all the bad stuff that happened, there's certain things that could happen to like make things not happen. Like the x-ray of Heather O'Rourke, you know, if the police came out the first time when that guy called 911 for mm -hmm. um, uh, Dominique, you know, there's so many things that could have helped these people right, mm -hmm. yeah, and, it right. Didn't and it didn't happen so that there you go insane. the curse of poltergeist good, good job Tino. Mm -hmm. good job. that was good Crazy. heartbreaking mm -hmm. heartbreaking okay right. so is it you guys ready or time it's for time for badass i really hope you're doing the story i want you to do <laughs>
Um, probably not. <laughs> I, heard a, I heard a really cool story this week too. I was going to send it to you. <laughs> you guys should send it to me. Um, I just have a really short and sweet one that has to do with the times that we're living in right now. And because you guys know I'm a nurse and I am actually dealing with this very subject at work right now. Um, I wanted to bring it up because I think that these people are awesome. Um, you know how New York was pretty much ravaged by COVID-19 and so many, many people died. Um, but so many, many people survived. Mm -hmm. And so because there's such a large population of Jewish people, um, there's now a treatment that uses convalescent plasma, which is if you have survived COVID, you now have the antibodies in your body um, that can help someone else that's dealing mm. with COVID currently. So there's like this huge group of Jewish people who are now donating their convalescent plasma to be used as treatment for people who are currently dealing with COVID in the hospital with the worst, worst, worst of it. And um, they have now saved, my badass isn't just one person, it's a whole people. So Jewish people in New York City are like flocking to blood donation centers and donating their plasma, which, you know, I love donors. They have to date saved 36,000 American <gasps> people. Wow. wow. Damn. That is yeah. badass. Very, when you mention Jew, Jewish, is it because of their like blood types or why is it a, we're just a, it just, a huge it number? It's just because, um, because they live in New York City and there happens to be a, a large number of them that are, are um, that have the antibody in New York gotcha. City. So they, they okay. have like gone, they've gone to Delaware. They're like, there's a bunch of like Hasidic and Orthodox Jews that their, um, their churches are opening up blood drive centers. And every time they open one up, they, um, they flock to them. They, they fill up all the slots. You can't even get in to donate your blood. Um, it's just an amazing thing. You know, they're wow. giving them themselves so willingly. So, so like fully, um, somebody, there was a Brooklyn pediatrician, Dr. Israel Ziskind, and he said, uh, we don't just care about ourselves. We care about everyone and we will do what we can. I love it. Oh, so yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. So I want to hear though. I want to hear, Red, what, what story really are you talking about? I thought that you were going to talk about this story that actually happened here in SCV in the past week. I don't know if you guys know what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. I but, do. So here in SCV, we have um, a certain bar. I guess I'll, I will keep it nameless. And the two owners of the bar saw a gentleman selling fruit across the street. And they started harassing him. And there was a video made of them harassing this fruit vendor. And you can see the video. There's The guy, the male owner, is saying stupid things like, this isn't the ghetto. Like, you can't sell your fruit here. And the entire time, this guy's fly is down, which just drives me nuts. He's just yes. a piece of shit. And They're he just, says, go back to Pacoima. And I'm like, bitch, I was from Pacoima. Yes, <laughs> yes. And guess just, what? I bought a little old house over here right next to, hello. Right next to your, your little bar. So I'm not going right. back anywhere. <laughs> now, I've heard things about this couple, you know, for years now. They're just a mess. They're a mess mm -hmm. of people. And so this video went out, like showing them be just cruel to this fruit vendor. And what I love about the story is hundreds of people mm -hmm. from our community mm -hmm. came and bought fruit from him. 
And when I yes. say hundreds, I mean hundreds came yes. out and bought fruit from him in support. And we had this other restaurant, it's called Backyard Grub, and they posted, anytime you want to sell fruit in front of my place, you're more than welcome to. Everyone is welcome. And he did. He went there and people bought fruit from him. And I just, I love that even though some people can be really ugly and nasty. We have a lot of good people that will step up we and do. say, we support you. Okay. Yeah. And I liked the, how, how the guy recording the video was like, Hey bro, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Hey, I'm not your bro. And he was like, and you know what? I wish you were, I wish yeah. that we could, like, you know, be mm -hmm. cool with each other like that, but it's your, it's because of you that we can't, you know? And so I love that part. And I loved to hear his like very calm demeanor. His tone. He was very calm. Like, yeah, the other guy was like enraged, and I thought it was funny. I don't know if you saw the video of the female, and she was like, um, she the looks cracked on the way. Yeah, <laughs> she, she was, was like, cracked out, dude. Yeah, what did yeah. the what did the lady say? Because I the I cops saw it, but are I said, on their way. Oh, she God. said the cops are already on their Why? way. But when it came out, it was like the cops are already on their way. She <laughs> 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 like she was drunk or She's something. It's a total. Bag, dude. Oh, so wait, I wow. do have an update though. I have a really cool update. Um, I'm going to probably get the numbers wrong, but I did read about it. Um, they have uh, opened a GoFundMe. His niece, uh, the owner of the, the cart, opened a GoFundMe um, because so many people wanted that to happen. It wasn't like she did it herself. She, she was like just responding to the requests of the community and they said, we want to support this guy. We don't even mm -hmm. need to get the fruit. We just want to help him out. Mm, cool. Um, and so they gave him about $10,000 now in wow. the GoFundMe. He does have his permit and he's going to be purchasing two more. Uh, so all That's the things, awesome. yeah, awesome things are happening for this man. And, and I'm so glad. I remember the day this came out when it happened, it was like the hottest day. It was. It was well over a hundred degrees and he was out there trying to yes. get money for his family. Yeah. I just keep it in check, people. What's wrong with you? Yeah. I, you know, yeah. I also heard that since then the 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 bar owners have issued an apology statement. I didn't care to read it. I was like, did, did any of you guys read it? It was, I it was read a bullshit it. apology. There really? was comments below saying, too late, too late for you, your bar. Oh, down. yeah. When you well, look yeah. up the bar Basically. on Yelp or whatever, oh, it now no. comes up as a picture of a dumpster and it says, we're a dumpster garbage. <gasps> <laughs> Somebody changed it to a dumpster. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. man. Well, that's what happens. That's what happens. The lesson is be kind. How about that? Yeah. 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 Okay. Let's do more of that. Good job. Right, Yay. And you know what? That fruit is the best damn fruit. Oh my God. With mm -hmm. the, with the, 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 the seasoning. Oh Ooh, my God. It's, I love it's it. It's to die I want some for. more of it. I love it. I do. <laughs> All right, you guys. Good job. Um, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can message and, and email us anytime you want. Our email is handcuffsandsage at gmail.com. What's our website? handcuffsandsagepodcast.com and we're on youtube tiktok if you want to check out our patreon page and support your favorite ladies we are open to that Yay. do our survey oh yes we have a survey please fill it out we want to know your true feelings just be honest and you can find the link on our facebook page and our instagram page mm -hmm. absolutely yay good job you guys yay good job, yeah. Okay. Have a good week, y'all. Okay. And remember, we do, we do what, what we want. want. Ooh, we sounded good.
sounded great. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so <All right>. positive. <laughs> All right. All right. Bye, y'all. Love you. Bye. Bye, Bye y'all. Handcuffs and Sage is hosted by Red, Timo, and Dre in a shitty guest room in Los Angeles. Theme music is Leave Now by We Are Wasted. Cover art done by Megan Winchester. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Show some love on iTunes. Be a badass and do what you want. Until next time.